morning. Wilkinson here. Today, my guest is my friend Bryce Bailey. He is an art therapist. What is an art therapist, you ask? Well, I'm sure he's going to tell us. So say hi, Bryce. Hi there. It's nice to be here. Thanks for inviting me, Wilkinson. Great to have you. Let's hear a little bit of your story. How did you get to be an art therapist? We'll talk about what it is later, but tell me uh, a little bit of your story and how you got to be an art therapist. It's a great question. Um, It was meant to be. I always was that creative kid who needed to express himself through art. And as I grew older, um, I studied art in high school, got a bachelor's degree in art education, and then eventually wanted to do something to help people specifically through creativity and the creative process. So I went back to get my master's in art therapy and psychology. It was kind of a long time coming, but it was kind of fulfilling my destiny. So grateful to be able to help others and be of service by using art and the creative process. And personally, how did you get there? I mean, what was going on in your life that brought you down that road? I was tell, tell a little bit about your story. As right. much as you're comfortable talking about. Awesome. So I'm from Seattle, kind of grew up in Woodinville in the suburbs and came from a really supportive family that always encouraged me to be myself, uh, parents that are still together, two younger sisters. And I Loved doing art. I have lots of pictures, uh, chalk drawings, all sorts of things all growing up and was always um, felt like I could do that as a means of expression. Um, But there was something within me that felt a little different and I didn't know how to express that growing up in the church, uh, United Methodist. And um, that was a big part of my journey um, all the way through private Christian high school and into college. And so how art therapy and creativity came into my life was uh, as a result of needing to express some things that I couldn't really talk about coming from a pretty conservative background, being the best little boy, really trying to hold it together on the outside. But I knew that I had some internal struggle happening. So I turned to uh, drugs and alcohol when I became legal and um, got into feeling depressed and uh, suicidal eventually after coming out, being gay. It all kind of happened at the same time after growing up very conservative. So my story... When was this? How old were you or what year? I was uh, 20 years old, 21, sophomore in college. I was leading a Bible study and then dorm president. And then that next year, I went to a gay bar, had my first drink, and then I just... I uh, got into drinking alcohol and experimenting with drugs for about seven years out in the parties, you know, circuit parties and bars and um, kind of left all of my Christian faith and, and church behind and kind of explored really trying to fit in. And I only knew how to do that through um, drinking and uh, was kind of self-medicating um, my depression and, and not feeling okay with being comfortable in my skin through drugs and alcohol. And that led to a deeper depression. And in that eventually, um, when I was 26 years old, I just had my 25 year anniversary of getting to that point of desperation and kind of a breakdown that led me into an intentional overdose where I wrote a note of, of, of desperation of not wanting to be alive and uh, ended up in the ICU strapped to a bed because of the harm to myself at the university hospital. And um, mm. I um, was sent to the psychiatric unit and was given a, a blank journal by someone that I didn't even know knew me, cared about me. And uh, I started journaling my experience of of why I didn't want to live through a book that I called New Beginnings. And uh, that led me two years later into recovery and being clean and sober now for 22 years. So, And art was just a way of expressing that through visual journaling, through collage, writing, doing poetry. And that was the only language I had. So coming from a family that 
didn't drink alcohol, family that was not, you know, able to understand initially what my struggle was because I didn't have the language for. So art therapy is really about a visual expression of those that we struggles and challenges Mm -hmm. and big things that we can't talk about. So, so you were 18 when you started drinking. Well, actually, it was more 2021. 2021? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it was a late so, Oh, yeah. Legal 21. Yes, That's right. Yeah. Okay. Sorry about that. No. I misunderstood. So you went from, it sounds like zero to 60. Real quick. <laughs> Bam. Yes. And uh, started drinking and just changing everything. Yeah. Had you, uh, so what I'm unclear on is, were you out at that point or no? That was, it's a great question because it was right around that time period. Like I said, I was leading a Bible study in my dorm, which was, I had a lot of my friends were, you know, part of that. And you were still in the Christian college at this point. Correct. I was um, part of, you know, all the Christian organization stuff Right. and you had gone on mission trips with my family around the world. and, And so I knew more and more from a very young age that I was different and that manifest into knowing that I was attracted to to boys instead of girls. I've never had a girlfriend. And so at that time, when I was 20, turning 21, I had someone that was very comfortable with who he was. He had just come out and he kind of took me under his wing and took me to a gay bar and I had my first drink. And it felt like it just, I could exhale for the first time in a long time because I was holding so much in of not being congruent with who I truly was inside. Mm-hmm. And so it was such a contrast. So he knew you were gay. Yeah. You yeah. came out to him. I did. And um, I I wasn't sure that I, I, I knew that it was going to be true. I knew it resonated. Uh, I didn't know how I was going to be able to reconcile um being Christian and coming from my family. And my experience was my mom, who um, my parents have been so supportive through this whole entire life journey. My mom and I have been so close, such a mama's boy. And she knew right around that time period that I was struggling with something. And through a dream, God told her that her son was gay. Oh, and really? Yeah. So, oh, and I wasn't whoa. ready to talk about it. Um, but there was this. Did little, she do? So did she approach you? She did. It was kind of in between my sophomore and junior year. And um, remember, like it was yesterday. And um, I, we were driving around and in the car and she just, she had a hard time articulating it because she was really struggling. Of Plus why. she probably didn't know if yes. the dream was just her thinking something or did it's, God really show her exactly. or was it both or it, her, just her knowing? Yes. It was, it was someone from her past that had been, you know, came out as gay telling her that your son is gay. And, um, so she asked me cause she knew I went out dancing and had a fun time and she was just really curious and, and it, it was, uh, it's a challenge for her to talk about it because we always were pretty open about things, but when we, it was hard to talk about things that we were struggling with, right. to be honest. And so she asked if when I was out dancing, if I was looking at the girls or at the guys and I just, I wasn't prepared for that. So I said, Oh, I'm looking at everyone. I love everyone, mom. And, um, oh, wow. <laughs> she, she stopped the car and she told me about her dream and we both started crying. And, um, I, and she just said, you know, that we should probably tell your dad and, and, um, within, wait, wait, wait. So you're telling her, you looking at both, but I'm not admitting the dream. Did you say, yes, that's true at some point or no, because I deep down inside me, I didn't want to be. And so this is right before I really admitted to myself. And so I, I just, I was really praying that I wouldn't be that way because I didn't have any framework of how I was raised to be gay. And And what did she want you to tell? What did she want to talk to your father about then? If you hadn't, Agreed with her. Yeah, I didn't say that I wasn't gay. I just said that that I was struggling with sexuality. And the language back then was, you know, we didn't have a growing up in a church and, you know, being 
so conservative, it, we didn't have kind of an open um, forum to be able to discuss those things. Right. I never, you know, my parents had never drank alcohol. There was no abuse. There was no arguing. There was, we just followed kind of what we were in that perfect little family in the, in the church. And I'm so grateful for a lot of what I grew up with. But when it came time to admit something of my truth, I really um, didn't know how to say that. And so she just wanted, I think, me to know that both she and dad wanted to go alongside me with working through that. Okay. And so the first thing that she did, they did is tell my pastor and they really wanted me to talk with him. And I have to say, honestly, that Pastor Larry at that time in the church would be one of the most um, safe and wonderful people to be able to talk through that because he was what I think of like a kind of a man of God, like he was loving of all people. Right. And I thought that if anyone, I was never told I was going to hell or excommunicated, or I wasn't shamed into, I just knew that it wasn't okay. And so I told my parents, I was not ready to talk to someone like Pastor Larry, and I wasn't going to come home for Easter if they made me do that. So it was a little bit of a, um, a struggle at the very beginning. Right. Um, but then they, they just kept loving on me um, through that process. And my dad called a family meeting. And so my mom and dad and my two younger sisters and I sat in the living room in our home in Woodenville. And I knew why we did that. It was so that I could come out to the family. And I so, have, but you hadn't admitted it to them yet, right? I, you're, you're just saying I'm struggling. So they're kind of pushing you to come out? No, there was no no pushing. I knew. Well, I if just, you're in a family I, meeting, were you going to say you're gay? That seems yeah. like it to me. But <laughs> it was, yeah, it was. It was like within a month, probably, that we had the family meeting. Okay, and but at I, some point, you did agree with them. Yes, and said yes. I I knew my truth. Okay, I just was trying to soften the blow in terms of how do you your whole life? Because the one thing my mom did say is that we've been praying for you every day for the woman you're going to marry. And I they knew deep in my heart that I wanted to be a husband and have kids. Like right. that was my heart's desire. Right. So. I felt devastated because back in, you know, late 80s, 90, we didn't think we could get married and have families. Right. And so I was so um, saddened by that because I wanted so much to go along with how I was raised. Right. And so, so has she changed the the sentence to read, we've been praying for your, the husband that you'll find, or it, did she never change to that? She, she's been praying for me every day and she's <laughs> so such, just more of a generic prayer. Then. Just, I, I would probably say that she wants me to be happy and, right. um, is prayed for my happiness and fe feeling content with who I am. Mm -hmm. And I have to say that my parents immediately um, they were, you know, subscribing to like focus on the family, some conservative things, and they immediately discontinued because it wasn't working for them. That's all that they knew because that's how we were raised. Exactly. And so they immediately kind of put their energy and they expanded their faith to incorporate. They knew that I was born the way that I was. And they really quickly um, went into how can we support and his journey. And initially that was hard for me because I didn't have the words and the language to understand growing up so conservative Christian into like being gay. I didn't think you could be both. Right. And so that's, I think why I, I was moving out, you know, I was, you know, leaving college and going into my own, in my early twenties of living by myself. And I got into drinking and using drugs to cover up something that I wasn't okay with and numbing the pain and self self-medicating through, you know, drugs and alcohol. So um, you, you had parents that were accepting and that was early twenties at yes, that point. Correct. But then around, you said 25, 26 is when you had your 
the showdown, right? Yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> so if they were accepting, what was driving you to that? Was it yourself accepting yourself or what was it's it? Exactly. Yeah. I was so shame ridden and so not okay with who I was and that, you know, they kept trying the best that they could to show love, but it was something, uh, kind of an internal process of not finding self-acceptance. I had dealt right. with body image issues. I've, you know, dealt with not feeling like I was connecting to other like-minded people. I didn't know that there would be other people that were raised in the church that were dealing with being gay. So initially it just motivated me to try something new and almost compromise everything I stood for by drinking and, and using drugs, even some crystal meth. You know, I didn't get into it too deeply like some of the community, but um, it was really fun. I was partying and having a good time and dancing and taking my shirt off and feeling very uncomfortable with that. But, you know, it eventually and pretty quickly led to a darker and, and a, a despair because I still was at a peace with myself. My family still was trying to their best to show love. I had friends that I didn't really know very much because I was blacked out a lot. I, I really drank alcohol to excess and it led me to kind of fuel my depression. And then I became suicidal for the last couple of years before I was 26 and ended up in the hospital. So yeah, it was. And then it sounds like you got some light shining on you from that yeah, point. Yeah. How did, I, what, well, how did that unfold? I just, you know, it's hard at that time period because I was so lost and mm -hmm. my family came to visit me at university hospital when I was strapped to this ICU bed. And I don't remember that cause I was checked out, but, um, my best friend and, and a friend from college, um, will often remind me of that look on my mom's face mm. of that helplessness and that sadness that I couldn't feel loved and accepted for who I was. And so I, knew at that point when I was given this blank journal that was collaged on the outside, it just it was so fitting because I was such a wanting to get back. I kind of lost all my art and my creativity through my addiction. Mm -hmm. And and when I was presented this book that I called New Beginnings and the first page has my suicide note on it. And that's the start of trying to make sense of how I there was something within me that wanted to live and wanted to have something different. But so it, did your friend give you the blank journal or was that note in there because he was privy to it? No, I, he gave me the, the outside of it was collaged and the rest of it inside was all blank. Okay. And so on the very first page of February of 1997, I called it new beginnings, a recovery journal. And I, like I said, didn't get sober for two more years. My sobriety date is September 24th, 1999. So it took me that long through two or three journals to tell my story of longing for something different. I still had some starts and stops with drinking and using. I got a DUI during that period. I, I got into even more trouble, but that outlet and that safe container of a journal was where I was able to tell my story. And I just recently came across a picture of my family, my mom and dad and my two younger sisters and I gathering together in a restaurant and I would share my journals because that would give voice to my struggle because I couldn't talk about it. And that's ultimately what art therapy is to me is when you have something, a trauma or something that's really um, been a struggle and right. dealing with depression, anxiety, extreme pain, um, hopelessness, when you put it in an art form, sometimes even like a safe container, like a journal, and then share that, give voice to it by reading that or looking at that. And we had an interaction with, with my struggle and they, like I said, never gave up on me and were cheerleading me into when I was ready to get sober. And, um, they're still such an important part of my life and I wouldn't be alive if I didn't have that, you know, support of, right. because I so wanted to not disappoint. And, you know, I was holding this best little boy title for exactly until it almost killed me. So, so we're on a 
audio podcast. There's no, it's not YouTube or something like that. When people listen to this, they're thinking journal. And when uh, obviously most people, when they think of journal, you know, you sit down and you write your thoughts, Correct. you know, randomly or whatever, but that's not what I'm looking at here. You've got some couple samples. Mm -hmm. So why don't you just for someone that can't see it, why don't you describe what, what they are? What do they look like? Yeah. I have, um, like I said, from 97, when I was at the psychiatric, psychiatric unit, I use collage and like images in magazines and photographs. And I'm really drawn to color. I just started of doing kind of layers and collage and using mixed media. Sometimes it would be, I love writing like calligraphy. And so using all of the art form of kind of expression, like if you put on a canvas, but putting it in the confines of a journal. So I sometimes would do writing like an actual diary or journal right, entry. Yes. But it often like an overlay on the, on the photos. Correct. Correct. Right. So I'm often inspired by music or I read something or from my own experience of something I need to express and let go of. So it's a release for me in a safe place of an outlet, a creative outlet. And so I have dozens and dozens of these visual journals. And then when I got sober, I started sharing that with other people and, and doing workshops. And that's a big part of my story. The one that I'm looking at right now as we're talking that has been significant for me is a journal that I utilize an already existing book that was part of my past. And as an art therapist now, how to change the narrative or to embrace and empower ourselves to be who we are. And it was a book um, that I found as a student at Bellevue Christian High School. Um, I would go to Bellevue Square Mall at the Walden Books in the photography section and found this book called Sleeping Beauties. And it was just I look at it now and it's pretty innocent, but it was a lot of guys that are naked and it wasn't like pornography, but it was just beautiful images of male, the male form. Obviously didn't have a GSA or a coming out um, party in, you know, as a Christian high <laughs> right. school, especially in Bellevue. You know, I was class of 1989 and, but I kept going almost every week religiously to this photography section in this bookstore and looking at those images. And so just like attracted to that aroused and, and like wanting so much to be okay with who I was and at the same time feeling shame and feeling like it was a sin. And so, so then you had to confess going there. Yeah. Pray about it. And, yes. Pray about and it. And go back. And, but it was like a drug. <laughs> yeah. I kept going back to it and it was, a, right. it's a beautiful, beautiful book. And it just was that starting point of realizing, cause I knew at a very young age that I was different, but I actually kind of knew that I was attracted to boys early on. So that's why I've never had a girlfriend and never got married to a woman because I just knew that it wasn't quite right for me. And I so wanted it to be right. right. And so when I found years later in my recovery process, I found that same book, Sleeping Beauties, at a rummage sale on Capitol Hill in Seattle. Mm. And I... What a coincidence. <laughs> it was. <laughs> and I picked it up and it was almost an emotional experience because I held that and I looked at it with new eyes that I am and celebrating and embracing who I am as a gay man. And so I collaged and wrote a story on top of the images in that book of, you know, celebrating who I was. And I'm still a work in progress, but that letting go of some of what wasn't working for me and realizing that I could really embrace and honor the beauty of of what that book represented right. and for, and find healing and compassion for that young 16, 17 year old, um, mm -hmm. gay boy that was trapped in a Christian school. Um, and so that's part of why I need to share that with others, because if you're trapped in something that's not working, there is freedom and healing and uh, liberation on the other side of that. And you have right. to find the outlet to 
get unstuck and out of the self-constructed prisons that we create. Even in recovery, being sober 22 years, I find that if I'm not continuing to do the work to keep expanding, to keep growing and honoring who I am as an authentic gay male, I can still be a part of my family. I have my two sisters and I are still very close. I have seven nieces and nephews now that became the kids I always wanted, and they embrace and accept me to be part of the family. But part of my mission is to continue to help others using art therapy. And currently I work in a hospital setting and the need for a creative expression as an outlet, as a means of healing, where I work with folks that have had strokes or brain injury in a physical rehab, a lot of amputees, people surviving COVID. And so I become the spiritual, creative, mental health support of, I actually get to visit people now in the, in the hospital right. and give them a journal like it was given to me 25 years ago. You left the journal we met yesterday briefly, and then you left that and I looked at it while you're not here. Mm -hmm. um, there's one thing that struck me in there. You were talking about God a lot in those mm -hmm. beginning ones. And I haven't seen all of the latest ones, but I wanted to talk about that. Yes. So what are your thoughts about God and, you know, all of that? Are you, where are you today with all that yeah. is, is basically what I'm asking. That's a wonderful question. And it's been a journey for me of reconciliation, of being true to my own spiritual path. Like I said, I was born into a United Methodist um, family, and I became Christian at a young age, and that meant so much to me personally. And when I came out of the closet into the gay bar having my first drink and all of that at the same time, I really couldn't justify hanging on to the, the God that I was, grew up with my, of my upbringing. Mm -hmm. And so that period of seven years before I got sober was such a progression into the spiritual darkness of disconnection, disconnecting from anything that was true about the, the faith and the Christian um, upbringing that I grew up with. So when I got sober, um, I've been a part of some 12, 12 step groups and um, different means of finding a new way of life. And the concept that's worked for me is kind of finding a higher power, something greater than ourselves. And sometimes I still use the word God, the God that I, when I say the word God in those journals of my story, it's not exactly the God and the Jesus and all of that that I grew up with. Right. But there's parts of it that fundamental, like the goodness and the kindness and the parts that before got clouded with dealing with sexuality and, you know, the values that I grew up with, I'll be forever grateful for. It kept me safe. It kept me alive because I, you know, was so repressed for a long time, but I literally had to recreate a God of my own understanding. Mm. So when I use the word God, it's not meant to be like a Christian version of that. Although I have been part of spiritual uh, communities in the last 22 years that have been helpful of people that, you know, were raised in the church and came out being gay later. One was called Spirit of the Sound up in Seattle. Um, and that was very healing and kind of a prodigal son moment for me that I could be gay and, and that God, my lesbian minister said, God is wildly in love mm -hmm. with you. And I didn't think I could believe that at that time, but I grew into the understanding that the God of my understanding and what my life had become is a direct result of being true to my own spiritual path. So I could go to church with my family. I've taught Sunday school with my mom. I've go to the surface. I love the, the still the music of my childhood, but for me, it's a personal, it's a little bit different than, you know, right out of the Bible. Um, and I just, I found my own way and my own right. path. And my family has been very supportive in that. And I really feel that 
all of them have become more spiritually minded instead of just religious because a church isn't exactly what Christianity is. And so I feel that they have been, they've had a ministry of telling the story of their family and having a gay son as their oldest. They had a marriage ministry. They have a grandparenting ministry. They're still involved in a a non-denominational community church up in Snohomish. Seven years ago, I moved to Palm Springs and I had a hard time because I'm so close to my family still, one of my right. sisters and four kids and both my parents. But I knew that if I was going to continue to be true to myself, I needed to walk into my next indicated step, which was Palm Springs. For some reason, right. there's a spiritual healing that happens here that's very embracing of all LGBT um, community. There's a really strong sober community. It was just meant to be. I came to visit for a winter. I was... Actually, I went back to teaching. I was at Antioch University um, adjunct faculty. I had winter quarter off. I came down here for three months, did lots of hiking, kind of met my tribe. There's all these people that are in recovery or a spiritual path and went back to Seattle and just knew that I was meant to, to move here. Right. And since I so, moved- So we're going to stop for a minute. Yeah. So I don't want to leave the journal, but yeah. oh wait, because I want to tell you something about my history and uh, I want to see how all this fits. When I got divorced in 1998, I was spending my last weekend in the house, the family house we had sold. I had sold it. And uh, I sold almost everything I owned. And I just wanted a clean sweep of everything. So the last night I sat in, I think the last chair that was in the house. Mm. And I sat in front of the wood-burning fireplace. And I, I had a stack of my journals from decades, probably over a foot tall, a whole bunch of them. And I sat there and I thumbed through them. And then I, there was a couple... You know, I did some poetry and I pulled some of that out of there. But uh, basically, I tossed the journals one by one into the fire. Mm-hmm. I was just kind of thinking, you know, hearing your story, because I was thinking I wrote a lot about God taking away the feelings that I had, mm. you know, being attracted to men. We call it same sex attraction. Yeah. I didn't know I was gay at that point. Right. But uh, I knew I was attracted to men. I was like begging God to change me for all those years. Mm. And looking back, the story I had in my head, and I realized just a couple of minutes ago, that wasn't a true story. Yeah. The story I had in my head was that I realized I was gay and that I was begging God to change me. And so I got rid of him. But that's not what happened. What happened was I burned all of the journals because I just wanted to move on. Yes. And then it unfolded that I discovered and came to grips with the fact that I was gay. Yeah. So it was a different, I did a different thing, right. but now I'm looking at all your journals and I'm thinking, well, maybe I should have kept them, <laughs> mm. but, but I didn't. And that's my story. Yeah. So not everybody keeps their journals and not everybody destroys them as I did. But it's but. an important release. Like if you are at that place and you need to burn that, it's right. like a letting go. Exactly. And, and so I do that with, clients and patients, like either shredding some artwork or, you know, burning it like, or, you know, tearing it up. We sometimes have to release that. So sometimes we don't need to hold on to that. I've realized from that, I'm right at the, my foot, uh, feet right now, or is the journal that I was given in the psych ward 25 years ago. I haven't thrown it away. I don't know why I didn't initially, but I know now that I need to remember that my dark past and where I come from is my greatest possession. And what I have to share with people around how do you go from survival to, you know, just thriving in right. life? And so I don't look at my journal all the time because it is dark. It has, you know, some 
heartache and some desperation, but I have to remember where I come from. Right. And that's your story. It is right. And so it's all documented in there. So it's not like I'm, I'm I'm not suggesting you destroy them. I looked at them and I think you should definitely keep them. Yeah. Well, (laughs) I want to turn it into some kind of a visual, like how do we tell our stories even through the heart and and publish that somehow, because it's become part of my higher purpose, I believe, and why I'm still alive. And I just did a workshop this last week in here in town. And just to share that, it's emotional for me because I read the note that I wrote, you know, that of wanting to commit suicide. And I showed the pictures of early on before I was ready to embrace something different. So in doing that, it's empowering for when you we're going to go through struggles. Life is not going right. to be always easy, but we can use the outlets, the creative process in terms of letting go of those things that we get stuck in. Otherwise, you know, I don't want to die today. Right. I actually woke up and I'm happy to be alive. Right. And that is new from 25 years ago, where even though you can get all this love from family and friends that you don't even think you know, to like, don't give up before the miracle, right. really. When you were talking a few minutes ago, because I guess I had a false belief on what you do. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming you're in Palm Springs and you're doing this, all this journaling with just uh, LGBT or gay men. But that's not the case then. You, you are, you have other people because you said people have had physical things happen right. to them and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. When I first moved here, I was hired at a local local treatment center that was a dual diagnosis for people dealing with mental health and addiction. And okay. so I often would provide support and, and offer the groups for the LGBT, mostly gay guys that came for treatment and, and for recovery. So we used art therapy. And I've always been wanting to give back to our community, the LGBT community, which is very strong here in Palm Springs. And so I do that in addition to my job currently is at a, a physical rehabilitation hospital. And since it's Palm Springs, we get a lot of LGBT patients. So it's been it's been a beautiful way of expanding my like how to fit creativity and art therapy and healing into, you know, when you're learning fine motor again after a severe stroke or you have expressive right. aphasia and you can't talk or you're dealing with severe depression or PTSD. There's a real need, especially coming out of this pandemic for uh, mental health and spiritual healing. Mm-hmm. A lot of times I go in with my little art cart in the hospital and I'm very bright and colorful and they're like, oh, you, is this the candy man? Like, what are you very, there's, <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't want what you have. Um, it's a little much for some people, you know, I have fabrics and I have, you know, pastels and paints and um, clay and all sorts of things. And it's just, I just connect with people. And oftentimes they'll say, are you a minister? Are you like a creativity chaplain? And I, I find that to be such a compliment because I get to give back now because there were so many people along the way. I'm not here and talking to you today because I did this on my own. So many people have inspired me to follow my passion, follow my destiny. Being here in Palm Springs actually got me closer to my family because I can show up more fully as my authentic self. I've done some outside work with erotic life coaches and energy healers and therapy and with working my recovery 12-step program. All of that has given me the capability of showing up more than I knew how to do. Mm. So, um, yeah, I just... I. My, my main passion is giving back to the LGBT community because that's the essence of my journey of finding self-acceptance and that we have to support and embrace and celebrate each other. Because I was just, I'm, I'm tired of so many people dying of addiction and of suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, you know, I'm a survivor and I want to know that it is possible to become 51 years old and be 22 years sober and, and find 
the life like beyond comprehension, this expansive existence that I have today is just a gift. Life is precious. It is. And I'm so grateful that I get to tell the story and, and be able to let people know that there is light, there is hope, there is, you know, that you are loved just as you are. Right. And if you're stuck in something that's not working or closeted or you're not okay with who you are in your skin, it will get different right. if you show up and find the willingness to create a, a new narrative. So we're glad you're here. I'm glad to be here. And thank you for coming today. Thank you so much for having I me. Appreciate a, I, I appreciate it. I appreciate what you do in the world too. Thank you. Thank yeah. you for sharing your story with us.